Hello, and welcome to our Wednesday night Bible study. I am Pastor Mark, pastor here at Celebration Church. We are looking at 2 Kings in our Bible study. I, using our table from our other TV set. Kind of like it. Makes it easy to sit down, seeing how I'm just talking to cameras today. Thought I'd hang on to my table here as we do our Bible study. Now, we are looking at the life of Elisha. The prophet, uh, he's the one who followed Elijah, who had just been taken into heaven. And now we see, uh, as the, the, the Bible talks about Elisha, kind of goes into a run here of miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle that Elisha uh, performed. He was quite an amazing prophet, very, very powerful in doing miraculous things. Uh, we are reading the story of this lady. She's a Shunammite woman, her and her husband, pretty well-to-do who recognized him as being a man of God, a prophet of God, and built a special room up on the house for him and, and, and furnished it and said, listen, whenever you're, you're in town, you're coming through, you can stay here for free, we'll take care of you and stuff. And uh, it was a real blessing to Elisha, and Elisha really liked um, these people. And I, you know, obviously this is a great blessing, <laughs> would be to any man of God. Trust me, those of us who are in ministry, you know the people who really like you and the ones who aren't quite so crazy about you. It's always great to have people who really like you and are there for you to do whatever they can for you. It just makes life easier, as you can well imagine. It certainly did for Elisha. And uh, one day Elisha looked at the lady and prophesied to her. And because this is a woman, they were older in age, but she never had children. And he prophesied to her and said, you know what, God's going to bless you with a son. And her response to him was, oh, please don't say that. Don't get my hopes up too high. Uh, but uh, God did answer the prophecy, and she became pregnant and had a son. Um, but then, uh, as we were reading last week, uh, you pick it up in uh, chapter, uh, what are we, chapter 4, verse 18. The child grew, and one day he went out to his father, who was with the reapers, and all of a sudden he starts crying, my head, my head. And uh, anyway, the, the, uh, the servant said, carry him to his mother. And after the servant had lifted him up and carried him to his mother, the boy sat on her lap until noon, and then he died. So this boy dies in her arms. Now you can imagine what that would be like for any parent to have your child die in your arms, particular to this lady who... Uh, it was the only child she would ever have. It was a miracle to have had him at all. And suddenly, uh, he dies. And then, verse 21, she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God and shut the door and went out. Now, what's really interesting about this, and this is how we ended last week, was how calm and determined this woman was. Here, this incredible tragedy comes into her life robs her of the greatest blessing God had ever given her. You would think she would be absolutely decimated and crying and beside herself and angry, and <clears throat> which I think would be most people's responses, probably my response. You know, I mean, this, this, this would be a hard thing. But here is a woman who really had a sense of what faith was. And... Even though this child had just died, she just laid him down, stayed very composed, shut the door, went out, called her husband, said, please 
send me one of the servants and a donkey so I can go to the man of God. I'm going to the man of God. I'm going to where I know I can get an answer, my answer, my miracle, and, uh, and quickly return. And her husband says, well, why go to him today? There's nothing special about this day. It's not a new moon. It's not the Sabbath. It's not some holy day. And uh, she says, it's all right. I'm going to go see him. So she saddled the donkey and said to her servant, lead on and don't slow down for me unless I tell you. No, don't rest. I'm, I, we need to get there as quick as possible. So she set out and came to the man of God who was hanging out at Mount Carmel. When he saw her in the distance, Elisha, the man of God, says to his servant Gehazi, uh, look, there's a Shunite woman. Run to meet her. Ask her how are things going. Are you all right? Is your husband good? How's your child? Is everything jiggy? My translation. Uh, anyway, so um, the, the guy goes, Gehazi, and says, is everything okay? She says, well, everything's all right. Um, which is not really all right, but she was, again, her composure is amazing through this. Because she is coming, she is expecting a miracle. And uh, so when she reaches the man of God, she falls at, his, at her feet, at his feet, and she takes hold of his feet. Well, Gehazi, the servant, comes over to push her away. You don't do that. You don't just grab people's feet. You know, this is a prophet. You're, you're a woman. I mean, you know, it's, it's not proper. But uh, Elisha, the man of God, said, leave her alone. She is in bitter distress. And what's interesting, the next phrase, he says, but the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me why. I mean, Elisha was used to God constantly telling him what's going on. At any given time, these guys were prophets. They had just a line to heaven and they had insights that nobody had insights. And here comes this woman and he's, he's not surprised that she's emotionally at this point falls down in tears at his feet, even though she's been so composed at this point. What really amazes him is she's upset. And amazingly, God hasn't told me. Why? I don't know why. Isn't that weird? I mean, he's so used to knowing the whys all the time that when he doesn't know the whys, that was rather odd to him. And then she starts to uh, uh, plead her case to Elijah. He said, did I ask you for a son, my Lord. See, she never asked him for this miracle. And he said, and didn't I tell you, don't raise my hopes. You know, don't build my expectations. And, and, uh, and she was right. She hadn't asked for the miracle. Elisha just blessed her with it. Just saw her and prophesied, you're going to have a son. Because she was so nice to him. Uh, her and her husband and, and taking such good care of him. He said, well, I'm, I'm going to bless these people. Speaks this prophecy. Brings a son. She says, please. I didn't ask for it. And I asked you at the time, don't mess with my emotions and my hopes and my dreams. And right away, as soon as she said that, then Elisha put two and two together. Something's wrong with the boy. So Elisha says to Gehazi, man, tuck your cloak into your belt. Uh, why would you do that? Because he's going to run. You need to run. And take my staff in your hand. Run. Get going. If you meet anybody, do not say hello. And if anyone says hello to you, don't even answer. Get over there as fast as you can and lay my staff on the boy's face. Now, really fascinating stuff because as we've talked about already, every time a miracle comes along, it always seems like it's done in a different way, in a strange, bizarre way. And I think, as I said to you before, I think the reason God does this is so you don't start to put God in a box. 
that God will always do things this way. And you can always expect if you push this button and say this and say this prayer and twirl around and stick your air, hands in the air that God's going to do the same thing all the time. God doesn't want to be thought of as some kind of machine. So God is always throughout the Bible doing all kinds of miracles, but every time it just seems it's just got a little different twist to it, different strange things. Now, I've always wondered, do these guys, did these prophets, did the Spirit of God tell them to do these strange things? Or did they come up with it themselves as just a step of faith to, uh, you know, as an expression of God do this thing? Uh, I don't really have the answer to that. My guess is it's probably a little bit of both. I think some guy, sometimes God did tell them to do very strange things. Actually, you can read where they, God told them to do specifically strange things. But even when it doesn't tell you whether God said it or not, I think a lot of times God was telling them to, to have this particular response. We'll see that as we read some of these other miracles. Where did he get these ideas to do these strange kind of things? Uh, some of it might have been because the Spirit of God told him to do it that way. And yet it's possible, I think, that you know, this was just an expression of faith that he said, do this and, and the Spirit of God will show up. Because we see here, now this is real interesting. Remember, God did not reveal to him what was going on. Kind of surprised him. And he says, take my staff and lay it on the boy's face. Now, again, I don't know that God told him to do this. My, my implication or my guess is that God didn't tell him to do this because nothing happens right away when this happens. Uh, it's kind of interesting. Uh, so anyway, so he says, go here, run as fast as you can, take my staff, put it on the boy's face. I'm sure expecting that this would bring, breathe life back into the boy. But the child's mother said, as surely as the Lord lives and you live, I will not leave you. In other words, I'm going to stay with you. Uh, so he got up uh, and followed her. Uh, and Gehazi went on ahead and laid the staff on the boy's face, but there was no sound or response. In other words, I think he expected there would be a sound or response. You know, why lay that on his face? Again, where did they get the idea? If you stick this on his face, they'll be okay. Did God say that to him? Or sometimes these guys just doing stuff, and God showed up answering their, honoring their faith. I don't know, but it's fascinating to read. But anyway, in this case, nothing happened. So Gehazi runs back to meet Elisha. Elisha's on his way with the lady. And... Uh, Says to, to Elisha, okay, I, I did what you said, but the boy didn't wake up. Nothing happened. Well, when Elisha reaches the house, there was the boy lying dead on his couch. So he goes in, he shuts the door on the two of them, his servant and the lady, and he prays to the Lord. Then he got on the bed and lay on the boy, mouth to mouth, eyes to eyes, hands to hand. He stretches himself out on him. And then the boy's body grew warm. Again, did God tell him to do this? I don't, it doesn't say. It doesn't say. I, it's interesting stuff. But anyway, so his body grows warm, but he's still not breathing. So Elisha turned away and he walks back and forth in the room, back and forth and back and forth and back and forth and body still praying. And uh, Then he got on the bed and stretched out on him and did it again. You know, now, he was persistent. The first thing he did, take the staff, put it on his face, didn't work. Again, his idea, did God tell him to do it? I don't know. All I know is the first thing he tried didn't work. Pretty amazing for this prophet who walked in such power. Second thing he tries, doesn't work. 
You know, what do you do? You give up, you get frustrated, you surrender. No. He prays some more and then he goes back and he does it again. Only this time, all of a sudden the boy, life pops back into him. And the boy sneezes seven times. All right. And opens his eyes. Well, that's pretty cool. Then Elisha summoned Gehazi and said, call the Shunammite. And he did. And when she came in, he said, here, take your son. And she came in, fell at his feet and bowed to the ground. And then she took her son and went out. All kinds of lessons really in all of this. Number one, if you're going to get a miracle from God, even in one of your most trying circumstances, and this is, this is pretty heavy to uh, lose a child and, and, and that kind of thing, but whatever your challenge is that you might have, um, the first thing you don't want to do is just get in a state of panic and be all freaked out. Because you have to understand, God responds to faith. In Hebrews, the 11th chapter, it says that without faith, it's impossible to please God. It's always faith that gets God's attention, not crying. Now, if you need to cry, it's okay, cry. And we'll put our arms around you and we'll cry with you. But make no mistake, my friends, there's crying isn't what will move God. God isn't wired like us. Thank God. If he was, he'd probably killed us all a long time ago. But he's not wired like us. He, I think people think if I just get really, really, really sad, then God will just have mercy on me based on my sadness alone. And while the Lord does have pity on people, and, and we read from time to time God is moved by people's sorrow, you have to understand that's really not what you need here. You need to get to a place of faith. I'm reminded of the story uh, Jesus was pushing through a crowd and everybody's trying to grab him and they're squeezing around him and everybody's calling out to him and they want stuff from him and they're crying and everything else. But one woman thought to herself quietly, she'd been sick for so many years, had lost all her money to doctors, they couldn't make her better. And she thought to herself, the Bible says, if, if I could just touch the hem of his garment, I know I'll be healed. So she comes, and in the midst of all this bedlam and pushing and shoving and craziness, she reaches out, touches the hem of his garment, and instantly, the Bible says, the power of God flew into her, and she was healed right away. And she knew it. But what's really amazing is here's Jesus pushing through this crowd. Everybody's yelling, grabbing, squeezing. He's trying to get it through. And all of a sudden he stops. And he goes, who touched me? And his disciples said, hello. <laughs> Everybody's touching you. What do you mean who touched you? Everybody's touching you. He goes, no, 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 no. No, no, somebody. Somebody touched me. Because he could sense the power of God just all of a sudden, boom went out from him. And he turned around and he saw this woman. And he spoke to this woman and, and commended the woman for her faith. Now isn't it interesting, in the midst of all the crying, in the midst of all the desperation, in the midst of all the squeezing and jumping and reaching out and that the one person they got Jesus' attention didn't say a word. You know, she just had faith. She knew if I just touch 
his garment. I'll be whole. And the moral of the story here is it's faith that gets God's attention. And again, I'm not trying to be cold-hearted. Uh, I understand people's pain. I understand even myself. I've said this many times. When I receive some tragedy or some challenge in my life, you know, I freak out like everybody else. And I allow myself to, quite frankly. I've always said I give myself a good 24 to 48 hour freak out grace period. Where I can cry and bawl and feel sorry for myself. And, but I, I never stay there. I never, it rarely goes 24 hours. And if it's huge, it might go through 48. But boy, I just do not, I will not allow myself to stay there. Because I know it is not fear. It is not panic. It is not sadness. And it is not crying that will turn the situation around. That's not what motivates God. Stop and think, people. If it was crying, freaking, and panicking that motivated God, would not the world be full of miracles nonstop? Wouldn't Christians be full of miracles nonstop? Because if there's one thing people do all the time, it's freak, panic, cry, and freak out. But they don't get their miracles. That's not what motivates and moves the hand of God. It's faith. So I don't allow myself to stay there. And then I get to a place of faith. And I get in the word. And I get the promises. And I start praying. And I break past that. And I've got to get a strong confidence in me. That if I just touch the hem of his garment. Like this Shunammite woman. Close the door. He'll be fine. Pop. Give me the donkey mobile. Because I am going to go find this prophet. We're going to have a miracle. When sorrow should have crushed her where she could barely breathe, she was hopping in the donkey mobile and heading out for the prophet. Why? Because she was full of confidence. She was full of faith. I hope you get this, goodness gracious. Because that is what will bring miracles into your life. Calm, steady confidence. And don't get freaked out that the first thing you try, even after you're in a place of faith, doesn't work. Okay? Be persistent in faith. Jesus said to knock and keep on knocking. Ask, keep on asking. Those who ask, receive. Those to whom it knocks, it opens. So I know lots of people, I ask lots of times, you know, and nothing happened. Well, one or two times. It's persistence in prayer. Jesus tried to teach us that. That calm, bold persistence. Again, People cry, freaking, yelling, and belly aching. That we do very well. It comes very natural, and we can do that ad nauseum. But I'm talking in a place of confidence where you come to God and you're praying, and now you're in a place of faith. And the first thing you try, you put the thing, the staff on the guy's face, nothing happens. You don't freak, you don't panic, you don't doubt, you continue to press through. Now the prophet's laying on him, and he gets off, and still nothing happened. You don't freak, you don't panic, you press on, you stay true, trusting God, and then the third time, Boom. The guy is healed. We're about to read a miracle in a little bit here. One guy, he had to do it seven times. You know, whatever it takes. You get to a place of faith. And you press in. Not motivated by fear. Not motivated by panic. Not motivated by, by, by tears and panic and freaking out. That won't get you your miracle. It just won't. Again, we will feel for you if you're going through that. We will cry with you. Uh, and if you can't get out of that place, and you can't, no matter how hard you try, and all you can do is stay in a state of panic and freak, we will be there for you through the whole thing. And 
if you die that way, uh, we'll have a great funeral for you, and we'll make a very nice, you know, service, and then we'll all cry and put you in the ground and move on. You know, I mean, we'll be with you till the very end. But I don't know about you. I don't want to just be comforted in my sorrow. I don't want just empathy for when I have some situation I don't seem I can handle. Some people, that's all they really want. Some people, in all honesty, that's some people, that's all they'll ever get. And, and I'm not kidding you. I know that some of you listening right now, no matter what happens, for some reason, I don't know what it is, there's some wall in your head that keeps you from getting to a place of faith. And all you can ever do is cry and panic. And I'll, I'll tell you what, God loves you and we will love you and we will pray for you and we will comfort you and cry with you uh, till we stick you in a box. Okay? And that's okay. Honestly, I'm not being facetious. That's okay. Uh, if that's as far as you can get. But I got to tell you, I don't want that to be me. I don't want to just cry and be comforted while everything fails and my life comes to pieces. I want to be able to get to a place where I can really experience the miracles. So, well, Pastor, what happens if that does happen to you and everything falls apart? Well, if it does, it does, you know. But at least I want to go down fighting, trusting God through all of it. And I think most of you would agree with me. I, I, it doesn't take too much rocket science to figure out. Man, if you had a choice between confidence and experience a miracle or just sadness and crying and freaking and receiving comfort, give me the miracle, man. Give me the miracle. Learn how to silence the fear. And the reality is, people, as long as you're... Here's what, here's what happens. What, what, whatever is attacking you, whatever is fearful to you, is screaming so loud that you can't hear the promises of God. You've got to silence. You've got to silence that fear. You've got to be able to look at it where you're not afraid anymore. Because once it gets quiet, now you can hear God. Now you can have faith. But I'm afraid, I'm afraid. Look, the worst thing that can happen to you is you die and you go to heaven. All right? I mean, what's the worst thing? You've got to be able to look at your worst case scenario and say, you know what? I don't care. I'm not going to be afraid. I refuse to be afraid. Even if that happens to me and I go down in flames, I don't care. I'm not going to be afraid. If I fail, I'm going to fail, but I'm not going to fail being afraid. I refuse to walk in a state of fear. And I can have it as much as anybody. You know, the devil comes to me all the time trying to fill me with fear about this or what if fear about that and what if this doesn't work and what if that doesn't work and what if everybody hates you and leaves you tomorrow and you can't pay for the church, what are you going to do? You, know, you don't think these fears run through my mind? Of course they do. But I say, shut up. I'm not going to listen to it. I say, well, what if those things happen? If they do, they do. And I'll go down smiling and say, I'm just, I'm not going to be afraid. You can either be afraid and die afraid, or you can be dying not afraid. If either way, if I'm going to die, I want to die not afraid. You know, but I'll tell you what, you get not too afraid, then you usually don't die. That's when God moves in and you get your miracle. That's when things will happen. But everybody's so, you know, so concerned. You know, Pastor, what happens if you trust God? What happens if you die believing God? <laughs> well, if you're going to die, best you die believing God, Right? instead of dying in fear. You got to make a determination. How do you get free from fear? On purpose. It's an intentional thing. Don't be afraid. How many times, over and over again, you read in the Bible, from the time where, you know, the angels appeared to the shepherds on the field, and they all freaked out, all throughout the whole Bible. Every time an angel would show up, 
something, they would all freaking panic. And the first words out of their mouth, don't be afraid. You say, well, I can't help it. Apparently you can. Because God would not say to you, don't do something if you can't help but do it. All right? The reason he said, do not steal, is because we don't have to steal. I know some people choose to steal, but you don't have to. The reason he says, don't commit adultery, is because you cannot commit adultery. Some people do it anyway, but it's not because they can't help it. All right? When God says, do not be afraid, remember, he's speaking. This is good preaching. Someone write this down. Do not be afraid. He did not say, let me take away your fear. That's what people are thinking. I'm afraid. I'm afraid. God, take away this fear. That's not what he says. He comes to them, the people who are freaking out. Even in the book of Revelations, when Jesus appears to James or, or, or to, to John, who's writing the book of Revelation, and he sees Jesus show up, and he freaks out, and he falls on the ground as if dead. He thought, man, when he showed up, I thought I was going to die because it freaked him out. All of a sudden, here's Jesus. Whoa! I love this revelation. You have to find it here. But in Revelation 17, uh, chapter 1, verse 17. When I saw him, when I saw Jesus, I fell at his feet as though dead. What does that mean? It freaked the crap out of me. Good grief. I'm praying. All of a sudden, here's Jesus and sparkling and looking. It freaked me out. He says, I dropped like a rag doll. I, as if I was dead. That's how terrified I was. And it's interesting that Jesus didn't say, I will take away your fear. Come to me. I will remove your. I will do it. No. He looks at him and says, do not be afraid. It was always, hey, stop it. Why would God say that if we can't stop it? We can. I can't, Pastor. I can't. Well, no, you can't because you don't believe it. But don't sit around waiting for God to do something when he expects you to do it. And you have to remember, the key to shutting off fear in your life, it's up to you. You make a choice. I will not be afraid. I refuse to be afraid. You get that kind of determination. You walk like this lady, who in the worst scenario of her life, when she should have panicked and freaked, she said to herself, I will not be afraid. And she saw her miracle. And we see this over and over and over again throughout the Bible. All right, moving on to the next Miracle. Actually, I'm running out of time. <laughs> well, let's see if we can get started on it. So Elisha returns to Gilgal after this other miracle. And then there was a famine in that region. And while the company of the prophets was meeting with him, he said to uh, his servant, Hey, put on a large pot and cook some stew for those men. Let's, let's feed everybody. Get a big pot here. Let's get, get some stew going. But one of them went out into the fields to gather herbs and found a wild vine. Now he gathered some of its gourds and filled the fold of his cloak. Uh, so he, he basically, he's out there and he's, just, he's grabbing stuff to eat. He has, he has no idea what he's grabbing. Seriously, if you're sending someone out into the wild to grab stuff to eat, you should send somebody who knows what they're doing. Well, this guy, he's going, oh, that looks cool. So he's grabbing stuff. When he returns, he cuts them up and throws them in the pot of stew, though no one knew what they were. Well, the stew was poured out for the men, but as they began to eat, they cried out, Oh, man of God, there is death in the pot, and no one could eat it. Now, what does that mean, death in the pot? Either as prophets, it became aware of it, or it's just that they knew the taste. As soon as they started tasting, 
they, whatever this guy had picked was poisonous. And the minute they tasted it, and went, what is that? And all of a sudden they recognized what it was, and they said, there's that poison in there. Isn't that wild? Absolute poison and death. And then Elisha says, get some flour. And he put it in the pot. He said, now serve it to the people to eat. Now, I got to tell you, if we are cooking somewhere, out camping out, and we taste poison in the pot, I say, dump the pot. Start over again. But Elijah doesn't do that. He says, no, throw some flour in there. And then a miracle happens. And all of a sudden, there was nothing wrong with the food. And they were able to eat the food. Now, we'll pick this up again next week. And I want you to see the analogy here in this story. Now, we're going to open it up for a time of questions uh, with your campus pastor to discuss maybe some questions about some of the things that we we're talking about. And please, let me encourage you guys. I love you dearly, all of you. But please ask questions that are relevant to the study. Not, you know... Do you think El Nino will create more thunderstorms this summer or something? Okay, don't be asking crazy stuff. That has nothing to do with anything. I love you dearly, and we've had some fun discussions, but it's really not fair to other people who don't really want to hear your crazy questions. Just keep it to the subject at hand. If you don't have any questions, great, then we'll let you all go home early or whatever. But I was trying to stay focused on some of these questions about, fair, about faith, about uh, fear, about miracles, just the kind of stuff that we're talking about. And uh, we will see you uh, next Wednesday as we pick it up at this point and continue looking at these miracles of Elisha the prophet.